Christ can verify. I went to O'Reilly's Friday with my light on my wife's car. The alternator light was on. And I had been down at the shop and charged the battery to make sure that I had plenty of battery power and went out there to have the alternator checked and to buy an alternator if I needed one. Well, the guy came out and checked the alternator, and yes, it's bad. The regulator's bad and the diodes are bad. Okay, let's go back inside and get me one. Left my car sitting there running. Came back out with the alternator, and I thought, Am I going crazy? I thought I left this car running. It had gone dead. And how much voltage did that battery have in it, Charles? Eleven and a half volts. And I had just charged it. It's supposed to be 13 point something volts in that battery. And that alternator was hot as a $2 pistol. It had drained that battery that quickly so let's go back inside Charles and we'll buy me a battery too I've already spent $250 on the alternator let's go back inside and spend another $150 on the battery so went back in there got a battery I disconnected the alternator by the way so it wouldn't be tied to this new battery and I drove it on the battery with no alternator and Till Saturday when I, like I said, I played mechanic all day yesterday. But that light had been on all the way from Tunica on Thanksgiving Day. We had been to Memphis to my daughter's for Thanksgiving. The car started fine up there. Stopped in Tunica at that service station up there come back out and it just barely started and about that time that light came on. Now that light being on killed that battery in front of O'Reilly's that quickly but I came all the way home with those headlights burning and got in my driveway and parked that car and my wife will tell you that our God is an awesome God. Because he knows how to keep a car running. Because we stopped at a deputy sheriff up there in Tunica and asked him, said, is there any place we can get this battery charged tonight? No, there ain't no place open tonight. Well, I'm going to try it. And that little 100 on the speedometer down there is where I pointed that, that indicator. And I drove down Highway 61 at 100 miles an hour because the less time you have the battery on the lights, the more chance you got of getting home. So I come down the road at 100 miles an hour. I told her, I said, just, it's only good for a certain length of time. That's what they call reserve capacity in a battery. I said, it's only good for a certain length of time. Let's see if we can get home with it. Got home, got in the driveway and all of that, and we got home fine. And then the next time I tried to use that car, it made it to O'Reilly's, and that was it. So, who was watching out for me? 
just go to 1 Corinthians, 3rd chapter. We're going to finish up the 3rd chapter of 1 Corinthians today. We started in verse 16. I entitled this, Not Just Any Building, But a Temple. But a Temple. There... I don't know whether any of you are maybe old enough to remember a black preacher up in up east somewhere called Father Divine. Any of you remember Father Divine? He was reading in this passage of scripture one day, and it says it in a couple of places in Corinthians here. It says, Know you not, or know ye not, that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth within you. And he said, Oh, Lord, that means I be God. And he became known as Father Divine. And he had his own uh, cult, you might say, up there. They used to send him uh, money and all that. But uh, you see how you can be mis misinterpreted what the scripture is saying and you can end up in a lot of trouble. I personally do not like to use the King James because the Mormons say that they like the King, they use only the King James because they can interpret it their way. And there are so many people that misinterpret the 1611 English. They actually think that Jesus said verily, verily. And Jesus never said verily, verily in his life. He said truly, truly, but he said it in a language which is Aramaic. So he didn't even say truly, truly. So... Don't ever forget that the Bible you have in front of you, including the one I have in front of me, is a translation. It is a translation from the original languages, which was Greek and Aramaic and some Hebrew. So don't get all hung up on a verse of Scripture that's in... in misinterpret it and think that it's going to speak only to you or you're the only one that's ever understood it. So I titled this not just any building but a temple. The 16th verse says this, Do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church at Corinth, that's not in yours, are God's temple? And that God's Spirit has His permanent dwelling in you. Now, the amplification says to be at home in you collectively as a church and also individually. Okay. So, what he's saying there, he's kind of summing up what he said in the other part of the chapter about no other foundation can anyone lay the, you know. And it says in the 15th verse, but 
the fire will test your work. And he himself will be saved, but as one who has passed through the fire. And said, look, folks, don't you understand that collectively and individually, you are the temple of God? Anywhere God dwells is a temple. Period, paragraph. If he dwells in you, then you are an earthly temple. If he dwells in this church, if this church stays true to what it's supposed to stand for, the Spirit of God, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I will be in their midst. Is that not his promise? So this becomes a temple of God when we assemble here. What he's talking about here in verse 16 is the church universal. The Catholic church. Little c, little c, not capital C, the Roman Catholic Church is the capital C. When we have that catechism, we used to say, I believe in the, in the Holy Catholic Church, that was little c. There was nothing wrong in saying that. Catholic means universal. That's what the word means. Little c, it means universal. And this is what we're talking about. This church universal is devoted to his service. Not for our service, but for his service. You can have a church, if you want to call it that, that is not a church of God. You have what is called the Unitarian Church. Unitarians believe that God is in everything. That is called pantheism. Yes, God is universal. But God is not, so to speak, in every plant in your garden and all of this sort of stuff. He is the giver of the life, but it doesn't mean that I could go out and start worshiping trees because they represent to me God. And you've known of cultures like that. That's called pantheism. But the church based upon the rock which is Christ is devoted to his service. What we do is supposed to do what God told us to do. Go therefore and follow on after that. This also 
is God's dwelling place. The church universal is. Does that mean this building? Nope. Nope. Where's the, where's the church today? Right here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. This is West Acres Church today. The people is the church. The old folks used to have it right. They said, let's go down to the church house. Remember that? Folks used to say, we'll go down to the church house and do such and such and such. Nowadays, they say, well, there's West Acres Baptist Church sitting over there beside the road. No, it's not. West Acres Baptist Church only is, is, is when it's assembled here. Church of Christ got that right, Charles. What do they say? Church of Christ meets here, doesn't it? And that's what their sign said? The Church of Christ. Twin City Church of Christ meets here. And they've got that right, that the church does meet there. So anyway, it's God's dwelling place. And the, it's his base of operation on earth. He does not come down in spirit form anymore to walk upon this earth to do things, manifest himself and do things like uh, like sometimes in the Old Testament he did, that he showed up in the what they call the angel of the Lord showed up. That was Jesus pre-incarnate. So we are his base of operations on planet earth. Everything that he does will be done through a person. Some more than others, some less than others, based upon your willingness to be used and based upon his sovereign will. So what we have is in his base of operations on earth. Did you ever, ever wonder why Jesus came as a man? That why he had to be a man born of woman? When God made Adam and put him in that Garden of Eden, what did he do, do with Adam? He gave him the dominion of the earth, right? And what did Adam do? He committed high treason and signed it over to somebody else, and it still belongs to that somebody else until the day that it is fully redeemed. Jesus put it in escrow when he died, but it has a, the, the, the title deed hasn't been transferred yet back as it will be to Jesus. So when Adam sinned and gave their deed to the earth to Satan, 
how could it be redeemed? A man gave it away. Who could redeem it? Only a man. Paul refers to him as the second Adam, right? So he came as a man to live a sinless life. To make the ultimate sacrifice to redeem the earth and his church. Well, his church is the people, and he's still to this very day. Who did he operate through after that? Noah? Yes. Moses? Yes. Elijah? Yes. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Yes. Paul? Yes. Terry Brown? Yes. Still, he operates only through men. Because that is how it's got to be. And so all his base of operations on earth here is through his church, which is people. When I say man, I'm talking about a generic term. I'm not talking about male and female. I'm talking about a generic term by man. And so in John 14, 23, we read this, it is the object of his love. Well, wait a minute, if I turn back toward John, it'd do a lot better. John 14, 23 says this, Jesus answered, if a person really loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home or our abode with him. See, the church is the object of his love on earth. And that was what was promised in John 14.23. Now, there's a little technicality here that needs to be cleared up. Temple means house of sacrifice. You don't see any blood up on that altar up there, do you? When was the last time we sacrificed a sheep in here? Or a goat. We didn't, did we? See, the temple is a house of sacrifice. Technically, we are a synagogue. A synagogue is a house of assembly. 
So you see that when Jesus came along, he did away with the temple sacrifice. And after that time, the only thing that you have, now temple Israel can call theirs a temple Israel if they want to, up on, off of uh, Walnut Grove up there. My daughter worked there. But it technically is a synagogue. It's a Jewish school. It's where they go and, uh, and study, and that's where they meet and worship and all that. But uh, they don't sacrifice any sheep up there either or bullocks or anything else like that. It's a house of assembly. And that's what the Jewish meeting house has been ever since the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. They're looking to build it back. But that is what is all covered in verse 16 here. It says, where God's spirit has his permanent dwelling in you as a church and individually. Now let's look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, if anyone does hurt to God's temple or corrupts it, or destroys it, God will do hurt to him and bring him to the corruption of death and destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that temple, you, the believing church, and its individual believers are. So I title this little the paragraph here, Be Careful What You Teach. Be careful what you teach because the amplification, it says, corrupts it. It says, with false doctrine. If you bring false doctrine into the church, you have done harm to God's sanctuary. And that deserves punishment. Joe Henry Hankins, who preached for many years at First Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas preacher, had I had some sermons of his in some of those books I gave away. But Joe Henry Hankins explained it this way. He said if you sin against an infinite God, then the punishment must be infinite. That was his reason for saying that you can't get out of hell. See, that I told you the other day that some of this we've been studying here is where the Catholics get their idea of purgatory. But it doesn't say that the person would be tested by fire. It says if any person's work is burned up. Not any person. So 
There's nothing in Scripture that we have. The Apocrypha, the Catholic Bible, has some in there in the Apocrypha that says that there is a place after death that you go and have all your sins burned off of you. The Catholic Church calls those venial sins. This is everyday sin. Now, they have another sin that they call a cardinal sin. A cardinal sin will not be burned up in purgatory. A person who dies with cardinal sin upon him is doomed to go to hell. But a person who has just hadn't made it to confession and has been doing the naughties and he dies, he'll have to go to purgatory and be purged. That's their belief. But see, old Herschel has an analytical mind. I look at it this way. Charles, if you can stay long enough in purgatory to pay for one sin, why can't you stay long enough in hell to pay for all of them and have an exit out of hell? Don't make sense, does it? Sin is sin is sin. You're not going to get purged of any sins after you die in a place called purgatory and come out and go right on in to heaven. Whereas if you died with sin on you and went into hell, how long would it take to burn all those sins off of you and you get out? That's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. So be careful what you teach. What we sow, God returns in the reaping. It says God will do hurt to him and bring him to corruption of death and destroy him. You destroy God's work and God will destroy you. Simple, simple, simple. You see, the next verse says, the verse 18 says this, Let no person deceive himself. If anyone among you supposes that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become really wise. Amplification says, let him discard his worldly discernment and recognize himself as dull, stupid, foolish, without true learning and scholarship. What do I know compared to God? I titled this little verse, Satan's sin can be our sin. 
You know what Satan's greatest sin was? Self-deception. The first one he deceived was himself. What did he say? I will ascend to the north. I will be like the most high. I will. In other words, he was going to take over God's place. A created being, an archangel of great beauty and great talent, but he wasn't satisfied with that. I'm going to go up there And I'm going to get on that throne, and I'm going to show God how it should be done. That's self-deception. We can be, because it says, let no person deceive himself. I can deceive Herschel. You can deceive Steve. You can think like Father Divine did. Know you not. Back in the King James, it said, Know you not that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells within you? And he said, Oh boy, that means I'm God. And so he becomes deceived into believing that he is God here on earth. But I wonder what he thought when he died. Because God's eternal, and he didn't, Father Divine sure wasn't eternal on this earth. So, you see, a lot of people today are deceived by themselves. Won't hurt me. Won't hurt me. I can handle it. Right? I can handle that cocaine. I can handle that that uh, meth. I can handle it. Because I'm stronger than it is. Sure you are. Next thing you know, your teeth done rotted out. Why? Well, I couldn't grow no new ones. I thought I could. Be like an alligator, grow your teeth back again. But a lot of people in this world are self-deceived. They think that they know more than anybody else. If anyone among you supposes that he is wise in this age, wise in this age, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. Get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be one heck of a man. 
Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble. <laughs> but I'm doing the best that I can. Remember that song? Self-deception. Self-deception. Ain't nobody out there as smart as I am. Ain't nobody out there any prettier than I am. I, you know, I, I used to be conceited, but I got rid of that. Now I'm perfect. You see, you think that this Bible doesn't know what it's talking about? Paul writing to the church of Corinth knew just exactly what our society was going to be today. Oh, how smart we are. Self-deception. We are wise in our own eyes or in your eyes. See, I can also deceive you into thinking that, man, that Herschel's smart. He's wise. Yeah, he is. If he's that wise, why does he do the things that he does? Oh, well, you shouldn't have asked that question, you know. But there's a lot of people today that want to convince you that they are so much wiser than everybody else. If you just understood it like I understand it, you would, you would know like I know. That's what got into the seminaries, folks. That's what corrupted the cemetery. Yeah, the cemeteries. <laughs> yeah, I've heard preachers call them that. <laughs> but that's what got into the seminaries. Wise in their own eyes. I understand better than you. And I know that this book is not infallible. You have to have me to interpret it for you. The Catholic Church for years forbade people to read their own Bible. Why did Martin Luther, a Catholic priest, why did he break from the Catholic Church? He's reading this book one day and it says, The just shall live by faith. Huh? That's not what the Catholic Church said. And he began to study the Word of God. And then he went to the adverbs and he posted those theses on the nail, those the, his theses to the to the door, and the Catholics read that, and they excommunicated him, which was a sure trip to hell. He was excommunicated, but he didn't keep his mouth shut, folks. He went out and started talking to other people. There was a guy in England that translated the Bible into English. They hated him so bad that they killed him. 
But that wasn't good enough. Later on, they dug up his bones and burned them because he dared to take their book. A little sidelight. Let's chase a little rabbit, short rabbit. Why does the Catholic Church sprinkle in baptism? Anybody that knows the word baptizo in the Greek means to immerse. It's a term from dyeing fabric. The, the soldiers used to baptize their spears in blood before they went into combat. They went into combat with bloody spears already because they baptized their spear points in blood. And if you baptize your clothes in indigo, it comes out blue. But the Catholics say, we wrote this book. We are superior to this book. And if the church says it's okay to sprinkle, then that's proper. It doesn't matter what the book says. That's their attitude. Their attitude is they wrote this book. So therefore, the author is always superior to his book, right? Well, who's the author of this book? Holy Spirit. Who's superior to this book? Holy Spirit, which is God. You want an explanation from this book? Look to the author. He's there. He's always there. If you're reading this book, he's there. And a lot of times he'll explain stuff to you today, and if you don't make notes on it, he won't explain it again to you tomorrow. You didn't keep it when I gave it to you. You don't get it back. <clears throat> this verse says, Be a fool to the world to gain wisdom of the gospel. The gospel, a lot of people think, they're so smart, they think the gospel is too simple. but I'm foolish enough to believe it. And the next verse, verse 19 says, don't, I said, do not dig your own trap. For this world's wisdom is foolishness with God, for it is written, he lays hold of the wise in their own craftiness. That's Job 5.13. So it says, I tell you that the knowledge of the physical is good. There's nothing wrong with studying astrology, astronomy, not astrology, astronomy. There's nothing wrong with studying physical physical science. There's nothing wrong with studying mathematics and and all of the stuff that you learn in education. There's nothing in the world wrong with that. The knowledge of this is good. It is a good thing to be well educated. But let's look at a minute at Job. If I can get this thing to work right. Job 513.
Job 5.13 says this. He catches the so-called wise in their own trickiness and the counsel of their schemes is brought to a quick end. And then we go to the Psalms and we look at Psalm 715 Job, Job, Psalm, Psalm, Psalms right next to it. Uh, Psalm 715 says this, Behold, the wicked receives, oh, excuse me, conceives iniquity and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He made a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen into the hole which he made. His mischief shall fall back in return upon his own head and his violence come down with loose dirt upon his own scalp. And then 7.15. That's what I just read. 5.15, I, I, I missed. Or 5. Not 7.15, it's what I want. Now I want 9.15. 9.15 says this. The nations have sunk down in the pit that they have made. In the net which they had hid is their own foot caught. In other words, the schemes of the wicked. And then there is uh, Psalm 35, 8. Psalm 35, 8 says, Let destruction befall my foe unawares. Let the net he hid for me catch him. Let him fall into that very destruction. So you see, what Paul is saying here is don't dig your own trap because you might fall in it. You see, the world sought to destroy the church. Paganism tried to destroy the church early. But what did they do? They scattered it. And it grew. It didn't stay right there in that one little spot when the church got to be per, uh, persecuted and they started driving people away from their homes because they were Christians. They forgot one thing. Those folks didn't leave their Christianity at home. They took it with them. And so the world sought to destroy, but actually spread the church. The church actually grows under persecution. And verse 20 says this. The Lord knows the thoughts and reasonings of the wise and recognizes how futile they are. See, God sees all. He sees through all unity. Psalm 94, 11, if you want to refer to it, says something about that. 
but God sees it. He sees through all that you want that you think you're going to do something that God doesn't know about. You got another thing coming. And we'll finish up real quickly with verses 21 through 23. It says, So let no one exalt proudly concerning men, boasting of having this or that man as a leader, for all things are yours. I said this, Do not idolize men, but realize that they belong to the church, and you do not belong to them. I don't belong to any preacher. I belong to God. The preacher belongs to the church, not the other way. This is not some preacher's church sitting out here. That preacher belongs to you. And he is responsible to teach you only what God tells him to teach you from the Word. It says here, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, see, He's telling the Corinthians that these guys are all yours. You don't go out there and say, I belong to Paul, I belong to Cephas, I belong to Apollos. No, you do not. They belong to you. And all things are yours. And that includes physical things that you are free to use. See, the universe is for mankind. Scientists discovered several years ago what they call the anthropic purpose of the universe. All this universe out here, all this gravitational pull of all these different stars, all this balance that you see out there that God created, the moon is in this position. The sun is perfectly positioned. If it was any closer, we'd scorch and we couldn't grow crops. If it's any further away, we'd freeze and we couldn't grow crops. It's exactly where it's supposed to be, 93-something million miles away. And the moon, and then their balance, it creates the tides. If the ocean ever dies, folks, we're done for. The agitation of the tides oxygenates the water. And I didn't realize this And one day that old crazy guy over there across the river, I call him crazy because he's not a Christian, uh, but uh, he's Alan Johnson's brother. Chuck told me one day that that wind blowing across that lake they got over there is what keeps the fish alive. And I thought, duh. It oxygenates that water. The wind blowing across there and blowing their little 
waves and everything crashes in, and that, that puts oxygen in that water. And so, therefore, all those brim and crappie and catfish and everything else over there lives in that water. Yeah, all of that. But the anthropic principle of the universe is this. You got kids. That egg got fertilized. And if it hadn't been right here on earth and it's perfectly positioned place in this universe with all this magnetic gravitational power in this universe you would never have got pregnant if you hadn't been right here see the universe the scientists finally discovered the anthropic characteristic of the universe is the whole universe is directed for mankind. We do have a awesome God, don't we? The universe is for mankind, and the ministers are too. The ministers are for mankind, they're for the church. And it says here, or the universe, or life, or death, or the immediate and threatening present, or the subsequent and uncertain future, all are yours. Did you ever consider that death is a gift of God? Death's the only one that can unlock our body from us. Death is a gift of God. It's as natural as natural can be. Because I'm going to tell you something. I was hurting pretty good when I went to bed last night. I'd enjoy it about all I could stand. And I'd hate to think that I had to live in this body. I ain't going to roll up my sleeves and show, show you my arms. They look like I've been grading wildcats. I'd hate to know that I had to live forever in this body. It'd be hard to take, wouldn't it? I heard one preacher preach one time, and I'm not going to tell you he was wrong. He said, when we get to heaven, we'll all be 33 years old. And at 33, most of us were in pretty good shape. Because he says we'll be like him. And when he left, it was he was 33 years old, right? So I'm not going to say he was wrong, but... but Whatever comes, COVID, cancer, calamity, whatever comes, 
last verse up there says, Christ is yours and Christ in God. If you are in Christ, you are God's temple or God's synagogue, whichever way you want to look at it. And there you're as secure because Steve Ryman said something to me one time that shocked me when he said it. He said, it doesn't make any difference to God whether I live or die. What do you mean, Steve? He said, if I live, he's got a purpose for me. If I die, he's got a place for me. So, the, the only reason that we woke up this morning is he's not through with us yet. Now, if you wake up tomorrow morning, you can just look up and say, what do you got for me today, Lord? And if he decides that Bill Jones used to sing that song right here in this church, when the last day on earth is ended, remember that one? And my body is thrown in the cover with dirt. It doesn't make any difference. God's still in charge. And when your last day is ended, it means that you finished what he intended for you to finish. Or either that or you, he finally gave up on you. <laughs> but that's the conclusion of this chapter that Paul is telling these people. He said, I've given you all this other stuff up here, but he said, I want you to remember one thing. I want you to remember who you are, who you belong to, and what your destiny is. And your destiny is with God. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God, you are sovereign, you are in control, no matter what happens, you are in control. And it will end the way you want it to end. And only the other thing I pray, Lord, is that we end up on your team, in your place, with you. In Jesus' name, amen.